Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Decoder Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts, or visit slate.com slash DSM Plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I've just turned 44. Um, I feel like I'm running out of time. I know people can get married aged 80 or whatever, but I would rather get married before that because I would like to have lots of athletic, um, mind-blowing sex with the person that I marry, and I can't really imagine doing that if I'm already in a nursing home when I meet somebody. This is Death, Sex, and Money. You know, dating in general is hard. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. But in the middle of a global pandemic. And need to talk about more. It's even harder. I'm Anna Sale. Hi, Anna and team. Um, You asked what it's like to be single and looking during covid This is a listener named Caria. She's 36 and has been divorced for about three years. And she was just feeling ready to get into another serious relationship when the pandemic began last year. It used to be that, you know, awkward conversations about safety would happen whenever you got to the point of being sexual with someone. And now I find myself wanting to know, before I even go on a date with someone, things like, you have roommates. What do you all do for a living? Are you all safe and wearing masks regularly? How often are you going on other dates? Um, and none of this even touches on the issue of the social unrest and racial tensions that have happened this year and how that's changed what I want in a partner and the kinds of questions I ask before I consider dating someone. There is nothing like the whole world being figuratively and sometimes literally on fire to exacerbate your desire to find a partner to go through it all with. If I was to sum it up, I would say being single during COVID, um, I feel a sense of cautious desperation. Cautious desperation. We heard that in the voices of many of you, in the messages you sent in about dating and being single and not wanting to be right now. 
you want romantic companionship even more than you have in the past, while you feel less able to figure out where to find it. And on top of that, you told us how hard it is to talk about this, the loneliness and longing, because it can feel embarrassing and unoriginal. But you have a lot to get out. So that's how this episode about dating is going to start. Listening to you, having your say about, ugh, dating right now. I think for people like me who value connection and want to actually get to know people, this has been very, very uh, challenging. There's no events really or anything going on. So it's really hard to meet people. And even though I work in a grocery store, you know, everyone has masks on. You just can't really see what people look like. I love being single, but in reality, I'm, I'm freaking out. I want to get married more than anything in the world. It has been almost a year now since I've had sex, which is really, really difficult. There's no spontaneous kissing. There's none of that sparks flying situation. It's a degree of, what degree of risk are you willing to take uh, for your own emotional well-being? It's just really hard to like, you know, to trust people, to trust yourself, to navigate all of this, um, which it was hard before, and now it just feels nearly impossible. April, in Rochester, New York, noticed the shift in her dating life a year ago when the threat of COVID was just becoming more real. Right before the state shut down, a guy that I had been dating, just casual, I'd been on maybe like four or five dates with him, he um, he gracefully and respectfully told me that, you know, he was no longer interested in seeing me because every time he would call me or talk to me, you know, he would suggest that we we hang out at, at my home. And at that point, I didn't feel comfortable. So, you know, I politely told him, like, listen, I'm not, I don't really want to invite you to my house yet. And he was like, okay, well, good luck. <laughs> and so really house dates are <laughs> really the the only best option people can do now which puts me in a really weird position as someone that's trying to get to know someone. But I don't know. It's like dating culture mixed with pandemic um, makes me feel really isolated. And I've been thinking about it even more and more about finding somebody. It's like I'm even more eager to do it. Um, But... I don't know if it'll happen. Timing and pacing can be so important in early dating. For April, she's noticed the way the pandemic's made things move quicker than she'd like. For Melanie in Brooklyn, hurdles from COVID have slowed everything down too much. Last fall, she met someone she liked, a friend of a friend, on a day trip to go apple picking. We kissed on the way back, which was nice, and then... We agreed to go on another date, and he has antibodies, so, you know, we felt like he was a pretty safe bet, Um, and I, you know, went and got tested with the hopes of, you know, us being able to go out and be intimate, Um, and then my test came back positive for COVID, (laughs) 
and I had a pretty mild case. Um, but then I was able to get tested again, test came back negative, and I went, um, I actually ended up deciding to go home to be with my family in Connecticut over the holidays, which was really nice, but obviously put a huge damper on dating. I kept talking to this guy. Um, we would video chat a few times. <clears throat> And I basically just decided that dating was going to be on hold until I got back to New York. And then I came back and met up with that guy who then um, told me that he's seeing someone else. (laughs) So that's how that's going. So there have been a lot of changes in your dating lives. And some of you are trying to figure this out without a lot of prior dating experience. Like Jacob, who's 22 and just graduated from college after having his first kiss last year. Before this pandemic happened, I had set myself a New Year's resolution for 2020 to have six dates. And I got four in 2020 which I didn't expect to get any once the pandemic happened. So I consider that a success, even though they were all remote. But it was clear that there wasn't going to be anything happening for me during this pandemic. Now that I'm stuck here alone and scared, I've been creating this narrative for some reason that I'm not masculine enough, and that's why I haven't had any sort of luck with dating. And I've really been trying to overcome that in this whole dating adventure. But the pandemic has put that completely on hold and it's really starting to put a bit of a strain on me. However, I'm still unsure when my current state is going to change. And really it all starts with me. It starts with me putting myself out there, getting back on the dating apps because that's the only way that I'm comfortable with trying to meet people during this time. Let it be said, however, that while the dating apps may be an option right now, they are not an easy fix, as Sam in Seattle is here to tell you. For me, dating during the pandemic has been exclusively through the dating-slash-hookup app Grinder. So I just moved to Seattle very recently in September for graduate school. Of course, there's no bars, no gatherings, and it's been really hard to make friends and also just start dating people in a natural way. But the problem with Grindr is that it's a really hard environment to navigate. When you start messaging someone, they always ask, what are you looking for? And I never really know how to answer that question because honestly, I want to find someone to date and eventually become my boyfriend. And having this hookup app as my only line of defense in this new city where it's just almost impossible for anything to last for me has just been really difficult. Hi, Death, Sex, and Money. Um, I am 29, about to turn 30. Uh, I live in Brooklyn and I am a gay woman. Uh, I was dating a bit at the beginning of the pandemic, but I found it really hard to make a connection with anyone. Um, I think especially as a queer person, uh, it feels like a different kind of loneliness. Uh, I don't necessarily think of myself as just being a queer person individually, but I really feel 
like being queer means you're part of a community and so much of that in my experience has been being in shared spaces with other queer people you know and that's always where I've found the most joy in my identity and that makes me really lonely and really sad. Dating during COVID has just been a drag for a lot of you. There's so much about it that you're tired of. But there are some of you who told us you've discovered some upsides to pandemic dating. I think one of the good things about COVID, even though you don't get dinner, is that people are being more honest and it's really encouraging people to have open, honest conversations with their future, maybe potential partners. It's really sort of made me look at the different ways that I want to be in a relationship and feel much more intentional about choosing a relationship coming up um, whenever that possibility comes around again. Hello, my name is Nelson, and I'm in New York City. I'm a 57-year-old disabled retired attorney, happily divorced with three sons. I've been attending speed dating events since before COVID. At the in-person events, the first thing people would see about me is that I'm in a wheelchair. But since COVID, uh, the playing field has been leveled in that uh, you only see people from the shoulders up. Uh, But now with COVID, uh, I can share that, you know, later and it allows people to possibly see that I have green eyes uh, and not that I'm just that I'm in a wheelchair. Thanks to all of you who send in your stories about dating right now. For those of you who are single and looking, let it be a reminder that you're not the only one trudging through this. And if Nelson and his green eyes got you thinking that maybe there could be something to trying to date right now, stick around. Because coming up, we've got a pep talk from a dating expert. People have this vision of love as something that's natural and organic. And how could you capture it? And how could you apply, you know, theory to it? And my reaction to that is that love is this natural thing, but dating is not. And dating is a skill. And so like anything else, dating is something that you can actually learn about, get better at and improve. I want to tell you about something I got to be a part of recently. I've mentioned before that I've been working on a book for quite a while, and it is finally coming out in May. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things. And something that I didn't expect about book writing is how much I would need to ask for help from other writers who've done this before, because it is a really hard, really relentless, and really complicated process. One person who's been really generous and helpful to me is the writer Kelly Corrigan. You might know her from her bestsellers, The Middle Place or Tell Me More. She's based in the Bay Area, like me, and she also has two kids. But hers are nearly adults. So we've talked a lot about writing and work and also about family, motherhood and identity. 
She told me that when she was publishing her first book, the writer Anna Quinlan was a mentor to her. You know Anna Quinlan, Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist, author of more than 20 books. And Kelly had the idea to get the three of us together on Zoom for a special five-episode series on Kelly's podcast called Kelly Corrigan Wonders. The first episode dropped this week, and the series will run through March. You'll get to hear us read some of our writing, including excerpts from my upcoming book that I'm sharing for the first time, and we compare notes across three very different moments of family life. Me in my 40s with little kids, Kelly in her 50s with a teenager and a college student, and Anna Quinlan in her 60s with grown children and grandchildren my kids' ages. The working title for Kelly's series was Between Two Annas, which I thought was very funny. And talking with these two women was really what I needed in this moment, when it can be so hard to find perspective, when so much about family feels claustrophobic and intense. There's a link to this series in our show notes, or just search for Kelly Corrigan Wonders wherever you listen to podcasts. On the next episode, we take you to a strip club in El Paso called The Red Parrot, where you'll meet a dancer, a customer, and the owner, and hear how the pandemic is changing how all of them interact. I like to refer myself as a therapist (laughs) who strips. (laughs) Uh A lot of these gentlemen just, you know, and I've never noticed it until now, but a lot of them have a lot of things going on. And I feel like I've gotten to know them further than the dollar amount. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash DeathSexMoney. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? 
Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. A lot of you, you told us, are tired, worried, and worn out from dating. Logan Yuri understands this. She has lived it. She's the director of relationship science for the dating app Hinge and has a new book out called How to Not Die Alone. She spent her 20s working at Google and dating the wrong people. Like one guy she met at Burning Man. Just imagine a guy who looks like Keanu Reeves' better-looking younger brother. Uh. And just the Burning Man is this alternate reality already. And so you're you're out on you're out at night and everybody's wearing white and there's amazing music being played. And then you just meet this guy and, you know, you have this great kiss. And I just feel like I fell like head over heels for this person. And even though like in retrospect, it sounds so silly because it's like we were basically on the moon. And like, I don't think that what happens on the moon, like really should apply to real life. But like when we got back from the moon, and then I was like, okay, I guess now we start dating. And like, he just wasn't interested in like a serious relationship. And I just took that as a challenge, right? I just took it as like, well, I like to go after things that I want and I'll make a plan and I'll show him my value. And, you know, I was basically applying the book Lean In to trying to date this guy. <laughs> and it doesn't work. And even though romance did not blossom with Burning Man Keanu, the fling did help Logan realize that she wanted to find ways to use her behavioral science background in her love life. I was single and I was using the dating apps and I was struggling and I was like, I really want to find a way to take what I know and take this decision-making theory stuff and apply it to dating and relationships. And so that's what I've done ever since. And so I've worked as a matchmaker. I've worked as a dating coach doing one-on-one dating coaching. Now I work at the dating app Hinge. And then I just wrote this book taking the best of two fields of research. It's as I mentioned, behavioral science, how we make decisions, and then relationship science, what we know about love. Okay, and I so love that. I want to slow me, down that a little bit. Sure. Tell me more. Tell me more about that. Like, how do you how do you become a good dater? Yeah, I mean, Anna, I could nerd out on all of this, but <laughs> I'll just basically say like dating as we know it is something that came about around the year 1890. And there's a great book about this called The Labor of Love from my friend Maura Weigel. And So dating as we know it is a very new thing, right? 1890. Online dating started in 1994 with kiss.com and then match.com a year later. And the dating apps have only been out for around 10 years. So if you're really thinking that we are in the middle of a, of a gigantic shift in, in how we meet people and how we do partner selection and in, in trying to find love within a marriage, like these are all very new things. And why I start with that is because if you're finding this hard, then it's not just you. Dating is harder now than ever before. And some people might argue with that, right? They might say, but if you're an LGTQ plus dater, then you have amazing apps. And if you're over 50, and these are what we call thin markets, people who, you know, it's not um, as easy to find someone or know someone single, like in that demographic. But 
I argue that because there's so many choices, because the decision is up to us, because our identities are ours to define, there really is so much pressure, such high expectations, and just a lot of choice. And that makes dating today really, really difficult. When I think about dating being a skill, and then I think Mm -hmm. about if I'm someone who wishes I could date in the way that we could in 2019 and just don't know how right now, like, what are the ways that someone can brush up on their dating skills during this time with the constraints that we have because of the pandemic? The first thing I would say is that um, dating is something that you have to do with an audience. It's like stand-up comedy. If you're huh. writing jokes, that's just writing. Um, it's not stand-up comedy until you're in front of an audience. And the same thing is true with dating. The other thing is, is that from a behavioral change perspective, it's really hard to change your patterns of behavior. We tend to do one thing and keep doing it. And this is sort of the status quo bias, right? We just keep doing what we're doing. And it really takes a jolt to our system to make a change. And for most people, that happens with something like a big breakup or maybe all of their friends are getting married and they they start freaking out. But the pandemic is also that jolt. It's a way to look at your life and say, I'm on a path. Do I like where I'm headed? If I don't like where I'm headed, then I need to change direction. And so you can think about this as a moment to become more intentional about who you are, what you're looking for, what kind of people you're going to go out with, and how you're going to go after it. And so, yes, video dating is more awkward than meeting up in person. Yes, video dating means that you can't uh, make eye contact in the same way or see if you like someone's smell or mm. you know give someone a hug at the end of the night. But there really are a lot of advantages to to this sort of slow dating and getting to know people. One thing that we've heard from people so far, listeners of ours who are single and who are trying to figure out dating right now, is the strangeness of not having a public place to spend time, like a a next stop, you know, after you decide there's a connection and you want to spend more time together. It's sort of like you're in a park, maybe you're on a park bench masked, and then you have to decide, oh, uh, am I going to go to his apartment now? Like, like there's, it's sort of a zero to 60 kind of situation because you can't just like go for that extra round of drinks at the next bar in the way that you could pre-pandemic. Like, what what would you say to someone who's like, Ugh! like what, what new conversations need to happen at that stage to figure out what's going to happen physically? I would say like, that's a completely normal feeling. Everyone is making it up as they go along. And this really is, this really is, is challenging and something new that we're all figuring out. So just first, I would want to normalize it. Um, in terms of advice, I would say, um, how can you use this as a moment to actually have a hard conversation with someone? And so one part of my book is I talk about how couples can either decide or slide through relationship transitions. And Mm. that means either um, you have a conversation and you're intentional, or you sort of just say, well, my lease is up and I spend a lot of time with you. Should we just move in together? Mm. And the research shows that couples that decide their way through these transitions are happier, have more successful relationships and even have more sex. And so it's great to decide. And so usually in dating, you don't have this decide conversation until around the time that you DTR or define the relationship. And that could be a few weeks or a few months in. But with the pandemic, you actually are forced to have a hard conversation earlier, right? You say, will you be wearing a mask when we meet up? Um, What has your quarantine procedure been? 
who's in your pod, or even something like, oh, can I kiss you? You really have to ask that question. Can I, you know, are can I approach your face and 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 kiss your lips? And so it's a it's right. <laughs> it's really new. funny. I mean, <laughs> it's just different. And it's yeah, like, that particular wording would not have occurred to me pre-pandemic. Can I approach? I, your I, face? I mean, it's just so weird. It's like lots of people were kissing lots of other people, and now it's like, oh my god, the idea that like our saliva would be intertwined like feels so intense. And so yeah, part of that is like being in a relationship, one of the things that matters is can we make hard decisions together? Can we talk about the hard stuff? And now uh, new couples are having to have that conversation earlier. And I think that let's say somebody just isn't good at having that conversation with you. Well, that's actually really good data. And maybe like this isn't the kind of mature person that you want to be with. Can you tell me how do you open a video date so it doesn't feel like a Zoom meeting from work? Like what what are the ways to open that interaction? Because I imagine that's the most awkward part. Like, where do we start? It's true. No, that's true. So what I would say with this is that uh, the date doesn't really just begin when you log into that video date. It actually begins beforehand with your mindset. And we Mm. have tons of research about the importance of mindset and what you're bringing into the date matters so much because our expectations of things truly define what ends up happening. And so for that video date, somebody should start by getting into the right mindset. And that means don't schedule your last work meeting from five to six and then your date at six o'clock. Because of course, that's going to feel like you're literally just zooming into the next meeting. I would take at least an hour. I would change my clothes, maybe shower, redo your makeup, whatever you want to do. Um, do something that gets you into a good mindset and really start from a place of this is something different. And this is just a small technical thing, but I wouldn't use Zoom. Why not use FaceTime or or, or something else where it's mm. like you're holding your phone. It doesn't feel like you're exactly at work. Uh-huh. And then I would say you can start the date by saying like, I'm a little nervous or this is my first time doing this. That's actually a way to just break the ice. And the other person can say, me too. This is my first video date as well. I guess we're the last holdouts and you're kind of bonding over that connection. And so I think just acknowledging that it's a little awkward is a good, is a good place to start. Just starting from a point of like real people talking versus the small talk, it really cuts down that awkwardness. And I know it's easier said than done, but it's just, can you be yourself? Can you show that person who you are? Can you do things that that lower that lower your nerves? And can you really show up as you are versus like, I am in date mode? And what would that look like for you? And I think that for people, they would just see such better results with that. know it's a pandemic i know it's challenging but just really try a video date try going on one try seeing how it feels maybe you'll like it more than an in-person date maybe it'll actually play to your strengths and you're never going to wake up and, and be 100 percent ready to date that's a myth you have to get out there and start dating and learning how to get better at dating and figuring out what you want someone out there who is just as imperfect as you is out there dating and they are getting better at dating. And that when you wait until you are so-called perfect and 100% ready, which doesn't exist, you are underestimating two things. One, the fact that you need to get out there and get better at dating and that this is a skill that can be developed over time. And two, you're not getting a chance to figure out what kind of person you like. 
what that person ends up looking like might be totally different than what you expected, but be open to people surprising you and be open to the fact that if you're putting in work, then you're doing it right. For Logan, she found that by letting go of her Burning Man Keanu fantasies and focusing instead on how she felt when she was on a date and who made her feel like the best version of herself. Turned out for her, that was a coworker whom she had considered just a friend. We would have lunch almost every day. And, you know, I'm sure being my proactive self, I was aware of when he ate lunch and I would I would pop in there. And it's actually funny. He would he would often be sitting alone listening to fresh air. Oh, and what so, a sweetie. I know. What a sweet, like, 27-year-old <laughs> guy obsessed with Terry Gross. What a good person. That's Logan Yuri. Her new book, How to Not Die Alone, is out now. And if her pep talk was helpful, and you end up putting some of it into practice and notice any shifts in your dating life, let us know. Our email is deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. And if nothing changes and you just need to vent, we're here for that, too. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Afi Yellowduke and Annabelle Bacon. The rest of our team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botin, Yasmin Khan, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Emily Tafour. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And wherever you listen, be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Thank you to Rudy Rubio in Piedmont, California, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Rudy and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. And if you've been inspired and are looking for a place to go on your next date during this pandemic, we want to leave you with one tip from a listener named Heather. I've done all kinds of dates. I've had a first date at Costco. Highly recommend. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.